0: Hi everyone, this is Chris, and you're listening to One Cross Radio, and today we are rejoined uh, by the always awesome Steve Lambert. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing well. I guess I'm awesome is the answer if I'm always awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that you are, sir, that you are. And today we are starting uh, a new series. It is the first episode in the series that we are calling Ask a Pastor, where we will be bringing questions from people or from online to Guests on the show who are pastors, and Steve, you're a frequent guest. So this one is ask Pastor Steve. Nice. And today's question is an interesting one. It's one that's uh, come up in my life a couple times recently. Mm-hmm. A youth at the Christian uh, Christian Social Work Agency I work for brought this up to me, and then I saw it on the Christian subreddit um, r slash Christianity, and then at the same time. Uh, This all happened within a week, or a week and a half of each other. Uh, Hector Mire from Faith and Fandom uh, was reviewing a comic by Boom Studios called Judas, Mm -hmm. where the comic's not a Christian comic by any means, but it is apparently quite respectful uh, to Christianity, where it starts with scripture, ends with scripture, doesn't have any offensive portrayals of Jesus. Uh, But artistic liberties are taken. Sure. And it's from the point of view of Judas, uh, Judas Iscariot, where he's down in hell after he's hung himself uh, for for feeling so awful for betraying Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, But in hell, he sees Jesus during the three days before he ascends. Yeah. So... Since this topic has come up a lot, I was like, you know what? It seems like this is one people are starting to wonder about. And depending on how big a success or range the the Judas miniseries has, it might be something to get people thinking. And it's, heck, something, like I said, I've talked about myself with a youth uh, recently. And I've seen online. And something that's reoccurring. So we are going to look at... Uh, or ask Pastor Steve (laughs) was did Jesus descend to hell uh, for the three days after his crucifixion
1: cool well I mean he wasn't dead three full days but anyway uh, that's besides the point Um, my face (laughs) so take that to start off with um, I yeah this is a question that Christians have had different opinions on different understandings of throughout the history of Christianity um, largely because of uh, the teachings and traditions of the early church fathers um, yeah and I think it continues in on the Catholic Church today, the Roman Catholic Church today um, but um understanding that it's a debated issue, I come down strongly on the side of the, the Bible teaches that he did not go to hell. Okay, uh, He did not descend uh, physically or spiritually, I guess, into the plane of hell uh, for those those days. So that's that's my, my understanding of it, and we can, I guess, chat about more of why that is as we continue on.
0: Yeah. Um, well, just because, it, like, this is something we low-key talked about, but mm-hmm. then... Uh, Like, it's something that seems to be affirmed in the Apostles' Creed, although there's been different translations where at one point it was said in the Creed, like, he descended to hell, whereas one of the more current ones is he descended to the dead on the third day he rose again.
1: Right. Yeah. So the Apostles' Creed uh, is, as far as we know, the earliest um, creed, the earliest sort of short statement on Christian doctrine uh, from the early church that we have. Um, it's it's called the Apostles' Creed because it's not not because it was written by the apostles, but because it was written trying to summarize the teaching of the apostles, the apostolic teaching, uh, which is in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, the earliest version of the Apostles' Creed that we have is from about 390 AD, which is um, about th- you know 360 years after Jesus died and rose again. Uh, you know about. 260 years after the Bible was completed, or 300 years after the Bible was completed. So it it is quite late. Um, And and even there, the very earliest version that we have, I mean, there may have been earlier versions, but the the earliest one that we have from 390 AD talks about in there, it says that, that Christ descended into hell. So the whole... Uh, first part of it is, I believe in God, the father almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. And then he descended into hell. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy spirit, the Holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Um, we can talk about the catholic part later but um the that line he descended into hell uh it, it was in the original version but then all the versions that we have after that for about 300 years it's not in there again so obviously even then it was kind of a debated issue uh it cut, shows up again in a version from about 680 i was doing some research on wikipedia today you can find this out, out uh, on just look up the apostles creed on wikipedia um but so it, it and it and it a lot of the early church fathers in their writings they they talk about jesus descending into hell um, so part of this comes down to the question of uh, what is our authority when it comes to the teaching about Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So if you come from a tradition of Christianity, Roman Catholic or um, uh, Anglican or, or others that, that uh, follow what they would call the apostolic succession, then um, the teachings of the early church fathers and the, the priests and stuff like that afterwards um, kind of has equal footing with what the Bible teaches, right? And so the Apostles' Creed is something that you need to take even more seriously um, because it was written by people who had succession of authority from the apostles that Jesus gave. I don't hold that particular viewpoint. For me, the authority is in the Bible, and mm-hmm. um, the early church fathers' teachings and the teachings of other people throughout history, including the Apostles' Creed, has uh, importance that we need to look at it and take it seriously, but it doesn't sit in the same place as the Bible does. Right. So uh, my question would be we need to look at the passage in the Bible that, that deal with this and, and deal with them, and then see does the Apostles' Creed match up with this. I, I would say one more thing about the Apostles' Creed. It, it wasn't written in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written originally in Greek and then translated into Latin uh, before it became English. And and so it literally says in there, he descended to Hades. Um, and so the word Hades is also just a word that they would use for the grave or, or, or right. the realm of the dead, right? So it, it might have this sort of sense of um, he really died. Like he was in the grave, he was, he was gone, right? That seems to maybe a bit redundant from what's already been said. Uh, but it has been explained that way. Uh, it's also been explained in the sense of on the cross, Jesus suffered through the punishment that we deserved. He took the, the wrath of God. And in that sense, he didn't literally go to hell, but he suffered through hell on the cross is okay. one another explanation that's been, I think John Calvin uh, in the in, during the Protestant Reformation uh, proposed that one as well.
0: Calvin, the guy who has a whole movement named after him. That's right. <laughs> uh, so some of the scriptures... That kind of a, we can see that addresses this are uh, Ephesians four seven through nine, mm-hmm. where it says descended into the depths of earth.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that comes from. Let me just read it for you the the longer version of it from the ESV. Um, I have an NIV here too, but I
0: the NIV and the ESV.
1: Well, the the NIV does a little bit more interpretation in there. Uh, in their translation, then the ESV tries to be a little bit more literal. So that's Ephesians four. Yes. So this is talking about Jesus and it says, um, Ephesians four, seven says, but he, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's talking about Christians have gifts from God, Mm -hmm. spiritual gifts. And then it quotes from a psalm. that says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then that's the end of the quote. And then Paul says, in saying he descended, what does that mean? But that he had also descended into the lowest parts of the earth or the depths of the earth, I think is the King James way says it. So that's been taken to mean, you know, that Jesus at some point, he ascended into heaven. Before that, he had descended into hell in the depths of the earth. I mean, that's a very medieval Understanding of hell, right? The idea of the, the cosmology, the way the world works, is that you have heaven above, hell below, and we're kind of in the middle. Right. Um, and that's... If you dig down, you're not going to find hell, right? That's not the way it works. Um, so even that...
0: Just like when could, you get up in the clouds, you're not going to find hell. Right.
1: I mean, Jesus literally, physically was bodily taken up. He ascended yeah. into the heavens, but then... I don't know, to get actually to heaven. I don't know what happened up there, but yeah. it wasn't just because he kept going up, right? <laughs> um, but in a lot of translations, take that. I mean, even the ESV that I read would say he descended into, uh, how did it put it? Uh, the lower parts of the earth or, or uh, the NIV. So I have an NIV here as well, which translated even a little bit more with interpretation. It says... Um, well, that's First Peter. Ephesians four says. I think he says he tra- he descended into the lowly parts, namely the earth, meaning that he was in heaven. He came down to earth. Not mm-hmm. he descended into the lower, like the, the depths of the earth. But earth is the depths. Earth okay. is the lower part. So um, yeah. So I don't think you can really make a strong argument from that. Or yeah. So the uh, NIV would say uh, he also descended into the lower earthly regions, right? So meaning he was here before he, he ascended back into heaven so yeah that, that that verse doesn't really make a strong argument I don't think
0: for it alright uh, another two that bring it up are First uh, Peter 3 18 to 21 and First Peter 4 6 yeah where it says uh, Jesus preached to the spirits in prison yeah
1: and that's that's one of the more confusing passages in the Bible that, that's really debated people don't really know exactly what that's talking about um I have a, a, a conviction on how to interpret it, but I also understand that this is not one that I can say with confidence that I've figured it out mm. and, and I know what it says. Um, what it's talking about in Ephesians 4, though, um, is, sorry, Ephesians 3, is talking about um, Christ's death, right? And, and how um, he he was willing to suffer for us. And the, the whole kind of message of 1 Peter is, that we need to be, as Christians, willing to stand up for Christ in a world that doesn't understand him or love him, and take the suffering that goes along with that. And part of the reason for that is for the glory of Christ. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's a huge reason. But the other part of the reason is that the people that are persecuting us as Christians, the people who don't agree with us, desperately need to hear about Jesus. And, and we need to be willing to suffer a little bit for them, for the hope that they'll turn to Christ and not suffer for eternity in hell, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, that, that's sort of a theme all the way through here. And so when it's talking about kind of encouraging Christians to do this, uh, it says in verse 18 of chapter three, uh, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That means that this, uh, you know, his, his body died, um, but he was raised by the spirit. Um, or another trip ter- 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 interpretation is that though his body died, his spirit was, um, like his, he was spiritually alive. Um, anyway, that's beside the point. In verse nineteen, it says, um, "So he was made alive by the Spirit." And the verse nineteen says, "In which he became, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water." Uh, and then later on, in chapter four, it talks about what verse is it? Uh, six. Verse six says. Uh, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh uh, the way people are they might live in the spirit the way God does so those those verses suggest that people would say that Jesus died on the cross and then he descended into hell um, maybe to suffer for our sins there but, but one of his major reasons was to go and to preach to people in hell hmm. and to bring them out of hell through his victory over sin and death right um through the I'm hearing the gospel through, through Jesus um, and, and that is one of the ways that this passage has been taken traditionally uh, but I don't think it fits actually with the theme of the book and I, I would say that the purpose of this is to say that Jesus died on the cross for our sins uh, to give us hope and to um, give us freedom from our sins so that we don't suffer through hell uh, and because of that in the past God or the spirit of Christ spoke through Noah to the people who were disobeying God in that day, for the, the give to give them the option of hope and salvation, so that they come on the ark and be spared from being wiped out, mm-hmm. right? And and when he says that the the gospel has been preached to those who are dead, it doesn't mean they've gone to the dead people and preached the gospel. It says, but before they were they died, they had an opportunity to hear this truth, right? Okay. And I mean that that idea is all throughout First Peter. Uh, First Peter talks about in chapter one that the the prophets. Uh, long to look into the things that the Spirit of Christ was telling them. So the Spirit of Christ spoke through them and they were like, oh, that's a prophecy I don't understand. I want to know more about this Jesus guy. And so it kind of just fits the themes of 1 Peter to say this is talking about even in Noah's day and even in the times people have already died, they had the opportunity to hear about the hope that we have in God, not maybe the full message of the gospel, but you know the little bit that they knew at that mm-hmm. time to repent and turn from their sins uh, just in the same way that Noah suffered for... Uh, being a preacher of righteousness, it says in Second Peter, um, we need to be willing to stand in the gap and and tell the same things to people today. So I, again, I, I don't think that that even if I'm wrong, I mean it's a really fuzzy passage to try and base this doctrine on. Right. Um, and and there are clearer passages in the Bible that we can we can turn to that seem to say uh, that Jesus didn't go to hell. Right. Uh, one of them is. Or the Both of them come from when Jesus is on the cross, which I think is just a great place to start um, when we're talking about what happened to Jesus when he died. John chapter 19, verse 30. In the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is finished. Right? And, and that's traditionally been taken to mean all the punishment that he was receiving for our sins. And, and there are there are traditions of Christianity that actually don't believe that Jesus took our punishment on the cross, that his, his death... Uh, freed us from our sin but that it wasn't to take our punishment I disagree with them and we can talk about that another time but um, that the whatever was going on the cross to deal with our sins and, and again I, I think it's strongly that he was taking our punishment it was done there was no need for him to go to hell it was finished at that point there was there was nothing more to happen right uh, the other part of it uh, was Luke chapter 23 verse 43 where Jesus is talking to the um, the thief on the cross and the, yeah. the thief says uh, remember me Uh, When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response is, I tell you the truth, today you will be be with me in paradise, right? Um, He doesn't say, you know, in a couple days when I rise and then I have to spend some time on earth for a bit, uh, then I'll be back. I'll I'll, I'll meet you up there in, you know, 43 days or whatever it is, or 53 days. Um, He he says, today you'll be with me in paradise, which implies I'm going to be there with you today.
0: So with that, just because. uh it's an interesting point. Mm. Uh, how does could he have? Could Jesus have meant the thief will be with the Father, mm. where where we're going into the idea of the Trinity? Yeah, where they're three individuals, but they are one in the same. Yeah, where Jesus is God, but Jesus is the Son of God. So, could Jesus have meant he will be with right the Father? Uh, also referring to himself right so so the, the, the trinity is complicated <laughs> yeah the, and,
1: and the trinity is complicated and i'll, I'll give you that uh, <laughs> the problem with that question and that's a question that i've wondered in the past too right uh is that jesus is not the father um jesus is one with his father mm-hmm. uh, but he is not the father they are they are one in essence they are one in, in being they are one together um, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are individuals. And right. there's no place in the Bible ever that says that Jesus refers to the Father as himself or himself as the Father or the Spirit. Like, there's, there's, there's a, a unity, but they're also individuals. And actually, to say that the Father and the Son are the same person is actually heresy. Like, there, Jesus isn't talking to himself when he's praying. He's talking to his Father. Yes. Um, so for him to, to be talking about himself and referring to the Father or the Spirit... It just doesn't make sense biblically, um, and it's. It, I think it comes from a misunderstanding of what the Trinity is. Uh, our God is uh, Jesus is God, but He's not God the Father, and God the Father is God, but He's not God the Father or God the Spirit, and and so on and so God forth. God the Son and not. Yeah, sorry. God <laughs> God the Father is not God the Son or God the Spirit. That's um, what I meant to say. Yeah, like they are, they are all God. And you can call all of them God, and but but most often I think where this gets, comes confusing is we refer to the Father as God, mm-hmm. and we refer to the to Jesus as the Son of God, um, and and all of those statements are true. And then sometimes we ignore the Holy Spirit,
0: but that's a separate right. one.
1: Right. <laughs> and, and and what's interesting is if you look at the New Testament a lot. Um, oftentimes Paul will say God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, and and he uses the word God to refer to the Father more often than he does to the Son. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, see, Jesus isn't really God. He's the Son of God. He's the Lord. But the word Lord is the word that's used in the Old Testament mm-hmm. to refer to Yahweh. Yeah. That's, that's that's what that word means. So when Paul says that Jesus is Lord, he's saying that Jesus is Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. Um, he, he uses different phrases to try and show you they're different people. But both of those phrases are asserting that they're divine and that they're they're the God that we worship, um, and the Holy Spirit also uh, is is God as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So that again, that argument doesn't really hold water. That he could possibly like I think that's the worst argument out of all of them, um, because it comes from a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what the Trinity is. Um, so yeah, it, this question of did Jesus descend into hell is um, one that has been debated that people have struggled with um and again i'm willing to um engage with arguments and and understand that that people understand it differently but uh, i don't think the evidence of the new testament supports that idea at all that jesus paid for our price the price for our sins on the cross uh, and then when he died he was with his father in heaven and then uh, he returned down before he ascended up
0: awesome thank you for uh thank you for explaining that to us steve like I I love engaging in these types of questions, sure. but uh, one of the things I've always done just because I I haven't been to to Bible college. Not that that is a not that I'd make that a be all end all. Sure, but for someone who I know who has lived experience, um, who is a teaching pastor, like it does come from more, they you have more understanding than I. Where it's not that I don't have the capacity, I have the capacity to understand, but you've been able to study this in yeah. Greek. You've been able to read about this in any which way. So that's why with this series, I'm hoping to speak to people who. It can be on just like this is my opinion, not to be like sure. opinions aren't valid, but. Yeah, it well, just it just authority it just takes, is also important. It takes a little bit of
1: uh, you know, I've I've gone through the training to understand it and, yes yeah yeah and, and had the opportunity to study it so yeah and yeah i've i've wrestled with this in
0: depth myself so i i i'm i'm there yeah yeah so yeah steve just to uh just to bring up another question it's something i've seen you totally caught me off guard with this question i did, I did <laughs> yes. guys steve wasn't ready for this i didn't text him about it at all it's just legit something i've seen pop up again recently uh over the weekend Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, this one seems to come up in cycles where it's brought up, it's addressed, and then it's sure. left alone for a while, and then it keeps coming back up. Uh, it's less a, a theological question, but more of a. That's still theological. Okay, but yeah. Okay. Um, but the idea of KGV only. Mm. Um, and it's inspired by you rocked the NIV, mm-hmm. you rocked the ESV. Uh, and you referenced the, the, the KGV, yeah. but uh, people in the KGV... The KGV? The, the KGV. The King George version? <laughs> oh, I said G. KJ. So, uh, KJV. Um, the people within the KJV-only movement would cite the NIV, the ESV, and essentially any scriptural source um, that's not the KGV. J, I'm saying J uh would cite that almost as heresy, as heretical yeah. translations. So uh I've got my feelings on it. <laughs> yeah. Can you share some of yours? Um or understanding it. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean I, I,
1: without having any kind of time to really gather my thoughts, um <laughs> here's here's the thing. The King James Version of the Bible uh came out in I think it's sixteen eleven, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um It's it's sort of Shakespearean in its in its language, Um, and it is a fairly good translation of the Bible. It it, it is it's uh, um, for being 400 years old um, and having the amount of archaeological archaeological excavations to find original you know not original but like ancient sources and Greek and, and Latin and all those kinds of things. Um, they did a really good job uh, Translating the King James uh, Bible There are a few sections in there That I feel strongly shouldn't be in the King James And actually if you were to compare uh, I can't think off the top of my head uh, What they are I think there's a section of 1st John um, Anyway, that the, the modern translations just Leave out altogether Yeah uh, Because
0: Which seems to be a point of contention
1: Sure Right, and, and so basically what the point of contention comes down to is this, that uh, when the King James was written, there was a certain um, a certain gathering of ancient documents from the Old and New Testaments that were available at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past 400 years, more have been unearthed that have been shown to be actually more reliable than the ones that were originally had. Like the way that the way that Bible translation works is uh, we have over 5,000 parts and, and or full uh, ancient documents, which means uh, before the printing press. So these are all handwritten um, that are scraps like, all, you know, down to pieces that are like an inch by two inches uh, or two like full manuscripts of the New Testament. And then there's some lots, like other parts of the, the Old Testament too that are... Um, more ancient, including the, the Greek version that was around the same time the New Testament was written and those kinds of things. Um, and by comparing the ones that we have and doing the scholarly work, um, uh, people who take the Bible seriously and care about, them—not these aren't liberal scholars that don't care about the Bible. These, these are people who are, are serious biblical scholars that said, actually, these ones that we found a little bit later are more reliable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there seems to have been some additions in these ones that the... Um, that were used by the translators of the King James. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, any Bible that you read, you pick up today and you look at the end of the, the Gospel of Mark, whether it's NIV, ESV, King James, there'll be a little bracket saying this probably shouldn't be here. Like, this, this is the earliest and best manuscripts don't include this. Uh, we keep that in because there's just enough doubt to say, well, we'll just keep it in here, but probably this shouldn't be here. Also the story of the woman that was being stoned that Jesus said, whoever, was without sin cast the first stone same thing well every bible will have that uh that sort of disclaimer this probably isn't actually part of the original bible and, and a lot of scholars think that one is a true story about jesus but it was added later by somebody who knew it um so there's a few more things like that that the king james has the other bibles are just like this is definitely not reliable so they don't even put it in there so sometimes you'll be reading through and they'll jump from like verse 16 to verse 18 because they've just slapped out verse 17 because the numbers were from the king james right um and and so people who really don't understand how the bible was translated they get all up in arms about well this is just perverting the bible and you know you've you know the bible says not in their language king james not one jot or one tittle which is which is jesus saying not one letter or the smallest part of a letter will be removed from the bible and you've removed things from the bible but really what, what's, what happened is that people had added to the Bible and then the scholars have come and said actually no that, that should never have been there Right? Um, because you got to remember in the medieval times there was all these um, you know the, the catholic church they, they had the, the, the latin vulgate had, had the, uh, the apocrypha in there because they had been pressured to do that and uh, there wasn't as much of the scholarly able to, people to say let's just look at what's true uh, and, and put these parts in so he, here, here's the thing the king james version isn't the best translation of the bible it's a really good translation and the difference is such a minuscule piece like there's just a couple places that are um, that are maybe shouldn't be there that are and and they're not big doctrinal issues right it's not like there's anything that well now that we don't have this we can't believe in the holy spirit anymore Like, think there's just stuff that will get that other places in the bible anyway right so It's not like if you read the the King James Version of the Bible that you're adding things that you shouldn't believe. Um, There's just a couple parts that there's disagreement that they probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. Um, The bigger issue for me, well, for most modern regions, this isn't the biggest issue, but the bigger issue is most modern readers don't understand the King James Bible. So if you're a person who's a King James only, but you don't really know what you're reading, because the language has changed, right? language has changed in 400 years. Uh, you're not doing yourselves any favors you're not growing to know God better because you don't understand what God's word is saying to you right you're, you're, you're reading this flowery King James language now if you do read that because you're an older person who uh, just grew up in the King James and it makes sense to you and understand that's great I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy for them to read it the largest problem that I have uh, overall though is for you to think if you think that the King James Bible is the only version of the Bible like people think that it was re-inspired in the English right it was re-God breathed um i'm sorry but you're off your rocker like that's just not how the bible came to be uh the bible was god breathed in its original writings in greek and hebrew and aramaic mm-hmm. uh, and it's been translated and passed down through there and we believe that god has um in his in his uh divine sovereignty kept what was there translated and handed down fairly really close to to accurate um you know there's like i said there's like 98 percent that we know is supposed to be part of it and 2% that we're not sure if it should be or not. Like that's a really good for an ancient document. The Bible is reliable. Um, but the people who believe that the Bible has been re-inspired, re-God-breathed in the King James English just don't know what they're talking about. And, and um, I, I'm not trying to insult anybody, uh, but that just comes out of ignorance and it, and it comes out of not knowing how the Bible comes through. It comes out of not knowing the theology of our Bible and, um, and, uh, and it, it doesn't deal with the difficulties of, of how Bible translation actually works. So if you like the King James, it's because you like it and you can understand it. Go for it. If you think that it's the only version of the Bible, you're wrong. Um, and if you like it, but you don't understand it, read one that you understand. Yeah. Um, because the Bible is too important to not understand it.
0: I had a, a co-worker who, who left uh, the place I worked at recently. She got another job. And she was like, I want to start rereading my Bible. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Which one do you have? Mm. And, like, I was just curious. And I was like, all I've got is a, a King James where I'm like, I like the KGV. It is, even though I grew up, like I was born in the late 80s. So I grew up in the 90s. So the staple translation in the church essentially was the, uh, the NIV. Mm-hmm. Like, we still would refer to the KGV every once in a while. It was still one I was quite familiar with, yeah. and I like the KGV. I don't like the the KGV only movement and mm-hmm. the that anger almost behind it or that comes yeah. up with it. But um, I asked him. I was like, "Well, I'm like, when was the last time you read it?" It's like, "Well, I tried rereading it again like a while ago, but I just don't get it." Yeah. So I'm like, "Okay," and I ended up recommending them the uh, the NLT. Which is I, I don't know where it stands on the the greatest translations, but it's one that we used at the youth center, yeah. And I just found it to be a very accessible, yeah, well, uh, translation. Where it's like if you're if you're needing to get the idea and re familiar, like this works great. I love me the ESV, yeah. but especially if you're reading it out loud, sometimes it gets clunky just right. due to how it was translated.
1: So yeah, I mean, the way the Bible translations work is there's this sort of I mean, anytime you translate something, there's this spectrum of, do I want it to be word for word or do I want it to kind of catch the spirit of what's being said yeah. and kind of be a, a, more of a paraphrase? So you have people that have like looked the at message. it. And, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, and that's a whole, like, far down the paraphrase line. But, yeah. I mean, he did he did use the Greek and the Hebrew when he paraphrased. Um, like, he did translate it. It's not like he looked at English and paraphrased it into his mm-hmm. own words. Um, but then on, on the one side, you have, like, so on the, the, the word for word, you have, like, the New American Standard Bible. Uh, which I have one of those. I've used them in the past. But they're so literal word for word. At some level, it becomes unuseful because you can't actually translate language. Languages aren't codes that you can just be like, oh, this means A and this means B. Like, there's nuance to it and there's idioms and there's turn of phrase that you have to kind of be able to capture what it means in our language in order to make it useful, right? Yeah. So the, the NASB is really good for trying to get close to the greek but it, it doesn't capture the spirit of it some sometimes and then you have ones that are kind of like the nlt on the other side that are really trying to get make it readable capture the spirit mm-hmm. of what it's saying in the middle you have the niv which is really trying to do a little bit of both um a little bit to the to the left of that being more literal as the esv which tries to be uh, and there's a newer one that's kind of in between them called the holman christian standard bible which i think is really good too um they try to be uh, beautifully written in their language, clear in the things that they're trying to say, uh, but, but a little more literal, the NIV. The problem that I have with the NIV is sometimes the same word will be in a, a passage in Greek, and, and it's really important to see, hey, that's that same word coming up again and again because that's the theme of this passage. The NIV is like, well, it's kind of boring to read that same word over and over again. Let's change it and use different words to kind of catch to that. And they miss some of the emphasis that way. Right. One of the things I like about the, especially the newer NIV, uh, is that... Um, Every time you read like any translation of the Bible it'll be like so brothers and then there'll be a little footnote saying this means brothers and sisters. Uh, the the newer NIV has just taken that footnote and stuck it right in the text and been like let's just make this a little bit more gender inclusive mm-hmm. in our language in terms of when we're talking about Christians we're talking about men and women. And you know there was some pushback when it first came out like oh they're calling god it instead of or he she like it doesn't do that. Like it's not yeah. it's not it, it still keeps the the basics of what's important. But it also captures that spirit of this is not just talking to men. It's talking to men and women. So that's Mm -hmm. that's why our church uses the NIV. Uh, I think it's really helpful to kind of um, bridge some of those gaps that don't need to be stumbling blocks in our modern age. Um, And it's still a faithful translation of the Bible.
0: Awesome. All right, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to answer those two questions especially the one on the spot no problem. Uh, and sharing your insight and dear listener, if you have any questions that you'd love to ask a pastor be it Steve or anyone else on the show, but especially if you've been listening you know Steve's been a, a big part of One Cross Radio and he's on the team on the website um, send, them, send them our way, you could hit it up in the comments below if you're Uh, Follow us on Instagram or on Facebook. Please send me a direct message. And uh, in a future episode, we will address more of those questions. Uh, Listener, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for supporting One Cross Radio. Uh, Thank you for keeping us in your prayers. If you've been buying us coffees or our merch, thank you for that. Y'all are wonderful. Hope you have a wonderful day. And God bless, my friends. Take care. See you guys.